Well, this evening we want to talk specifically about the gifts uh, of the Holy Spirit, and uh, no doubt this study is impossible to be exhaustive with, so we'll, if nothing else, sort of just maybe do an introductory look at the gifts of the Spirit, and then maybe, Lord willing, we'll go back and then actually take the gifts themselves. We'll see a few of them mentioned in our text tonight, and actually give explanation regarding the individual gifts, what they are how they work and so forth to give us a better understanding. But just to sort of uh, give a, a broad overview on this topic of the gifts of the Spirit, if you'll join me in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we're going to look here in this particular chapter this evening in regards to the gifts of the Spirit to kind of just have a general overview of the gifts of the Spirit themselves. Paul, of course, writing to the Corinthian church, remember, uh, which was a church that was very open uh, to the ministry of the Spirit. And there at Corinth, it seems that the manifestations of the Spirit, the gifts were in full operation. In some ways, things, unfortunately, had become so uh, free regarding the moving of God's Spirit that there were some, it seems, uh, abuses and some things that were starting to happen that were beginning to become a little bit out of order within the church. So in light of that, Paul writes these portions of the letter, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, particularly to give instruction biblical instruction regarding the gifts of the Spirit, how they operate, and really the scriptural guidelines that they're to be regulated within. And I want to say as we go into this topic again, perhaps even in this room this evening, there are different backgrounds that you've come from in your Christian experience or maybe churches that you've been a part of or study that you've done on your own. And I realize that there's kind of almost two extremes that people tend to gravitate towards when it comes to the gifts of the Holy Spirit, uh, both of which, as I think any extreme is, I think are mistaken extremes. And sometimes it's the result of just ignorance, uh, a lack of proper instruction and looking into what the Word of God really says. Sometimes it's learned behaviors uh, where people are just brought up in an experience where that's what they're exposed to. So, uh, you know, almost in the same way that sometimes, you know, a child can be raised in a home and maybe there may even be some things that aren't really healthy in that home life, but because that's what they were raised in, they just believe that's the norm because that's all they know. So there's almost just a naivety of, okay, well, this is what I was exposed to, so I guess this is just how it goes. And, and I would just say this, that rather than have preconceived ideas, I would encourage you, as in all things, to be open to what the Word of God says and to what the Bible says in regards to these things. And, and it seems that there are kind of two extremes, both of which I think are unhealthy, both of which I think are mistaken as it comes to the gifts of the Spirit. Uh, the first one certainly is probably avoidance altogether of the gifts, you know, an avoidance or abstaining from uh, being open to the ministry and the manifestation of the Spirit's gifts today, kind of a cessationist uh, standpoint where it's almost as if, look, hey, those things, and you know, we just, yeah, we believe the Holy Spirit's at work uh, among the church, but, you know, those, the, the gifts and those kind of things, I mean, we just, we kind of stay away from that stuff. That was for the early church because they really needed it back then to, you know, get a good jump start. So God had to give them those things to get them a good jolt to get them off the ground. But, you know, now today we have the full canon of Scripture and we're mature and the church is healthy. 
hello, uh, that we don't need somehow the power and the gifts of the Spirit of God to operate in this generation. And again, I think there are different reasons people arrive to that theological extreme or standpoint. Some of it is reactionary to the other extreme where there may be some extra biblical abuses and things that happen that are a little bit, you know, if I can be kind to use the word kooky sometimes done in the name of the Holy Spirit that people look at and kind of then feel embarrassed or ashamed about or uncomfortable because of what they experience. So as a result, they just fly away to the other extreme. And, and I think some of that affects that. The other, I think, extreme, as I just alluded to, that I think is, again, a mistaken extreme regarding the gifts of the Spirit is basically where anything goes. Uh, kind of, and in that realm, then, maybe in a very very hyper-charismatic circle sometimes, there's a legitimate openness to the Holy Spirit and to his ministry and the gifts being in operation, which is wonderful, but then attached with that, sometimes because of a hyper-emotionalism, because of just learned behaviors and a very hyper-charismatic, hyper-emotional tendency, then there's no scriptural regulation in regards to how the gifts operate and what is legitimate and what's not, according to to the Bible, and as a result of that, there are some extra biblical activities and things taking place that the Scripture knows nothing of and teaches nothing about, and there are just, in a sense, a, a freedom for things to kind of get a little bit out of hand in that sense. You know, it's interesting, at the end of this uh, teaching on the ministry of the Spirit, the last thing that Paul says at the end of these three chapters, 12, 13, and 14, is he says, 1 Corinthians 14, 40, let all things be done decently and in order. It's almost like the two extremes are right there in that one verse. Some people just let all things be done. Whatever you want to do, go for it. You know, you want to you know, do this, that, whatever, let everything be done. Whoever wants to do whatever, whenever you want to do it, it doesn't matter. Let anything and everything, let all things be done. Let's not quench the spirit in, in any way and let all things be done. That's almost one extreme. The other side of it is people who are so concerned about everything's got to be decent and in order that we have to regulate everything somehow and we quench and totally resist the opportunity of letting God's Spirit work among us and the gifts be manifested in the way they're intended to, to edify the body, to strengthen people, uh, and to be in operation the way that God intended them to be. And there's almost, again, that avoidance and abstaining because there's so much fear or concern that things have to be decent and in order. When the Bible says, no, look, let all things be done, be open, but there's also a decency in an order. There are scriptural guidelines that God gives, again, to balance. That's the point here. We want to be balanced. There is a biblical balance to the Holy Spirit and a biblical balance to the gifts of the Spirit. And that's, I think, what we want to aspire towards and what we want to be open to. Now, as Paul begins to speak to the Corinthians here regarding instruction of the gifts of the Spirit. Look with me in verse 4 is where he really begins to pick up upon this subject. He says, verse 4, there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. 
And then he begins to give some of the gifts here in this list in verses 8 to 10. To one is given a word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, and to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of of tongues, but one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. So, as Paul begins here in verses four to six, notice that what he's trying to convey, and he then continues with this idea throughout First Corinthians chapter twelve of the unity of the body of Christ, that the body of Christ is composed just like a human body of many members, but yet we are all one body in Christ, just like the human body is one body, it functions in harmony, it functions together in cooperation, but yet there are different members and different parts with different purposes and different functions, and these things all work in conjunction with each other to benefit one another and to assist and to help one another. And he's going to convey this idea through the chapter, but in verses 4 to 6 here that we read, notice He's talking about how as believers, yes, we make up one unified body in Christ. But what he also wants us to see here is that God has designed for there to be differences. God's designed that. God has purposely created distinctions among the way in which his spirit operates through the individual members of the body of Christ, through different Christians, and among even different churches, and I believe different ministries and local congregations. So it's God who designs for there to be diversity, hear this, amidst the unity. There should be unity in the local church among all the different members, different ages, different backgrounds, you know, different genders. We're one body in the local church, but there should be diversity. There should be differences that we complement one another in that way. And the same way, even on a larger scale, with the kingdom of God and the body of Christ as a whole among different local churches. It's God's design that there would be different churches with diversity to them and distinctions. And these things complement and make the well-rounded body of Christ to be an effective, healthy body in the world the way God intends it to be. So the first area, notice where this variation exists is simply in the gifts themselves. He says, verse 4, there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. So it's the same Spirit of God that's at work in my life, in your life as a fellow Christian, the same Spirit of God that's at work here in Calvary Chapel Gateway, that's at work in, in the, the local church up the street where Christians gather to worship at, the same Spirit. But notice he says, it's the same spirit who operates in diversities, different kinds of gifts. So there's quite a variation among the gifts themselves. And that word gifts, as it appears here in our text, is the Greek word where we get our English charisma, or where we would say charismatic. The term that's actually used there is a term that's describing the favor of God that's received freely. A freely bestowed gift that God bestows unworthily. It's not earned or merited, but it's a free gift. It's God's favor that's received and freely given. And it describes a supernatural enablement, 
a supernatural enablement that is bestowed by the Spirit of God in order to enable someone or to empower them to do something that God intends for them to be used for. Again, as we talk about spiritual gifts, please understand we're talking about divine enablements. We're talking about supernatural capability. We're not speaking about natural talent. Now, Psalm 139 says that God creates us, he knits us together in our mother's womb. And when God creates and designs us, certainly he gives us natural talents. And that certainly is from God as well. He's the author of those things. He may give one person a real inclination uh, you know, towards uh, maybe a musical capability. He gives other people inclinations to be very athletic. Other people inclinations maybe towards art or you know, things of that nature or someone to be very you know, intelligent or, or tech, a technological aptitude. Those are talent. God wires us all with natural talents. And can those things be redeemed and used by God? Absolutely. I'm not saying those things aren't of any divine value. God wired them into you. God made you that way with that temperament and that capability. And like anything, you should say, okay, Lord, you've given me an aptitude for technology or you've given me a, a capability to, you know, to sing or to play an instrument. So Lord, I want to offer this to you. And would you anoint it and bless it and use it for your service? And, and, and God wants to do that. But when we talk specifically about spiritual gifts or gifts of the Spirit, we're not talking about natural talents. Here we're speaking about supernatural enablement whereby the Spirit of God endows someone with an ability to serve God in some capacity that doesn't naturally exist in them from birth, if you understand what I'm saying. It's something that wasn't there from birth. It wasn't a natural talent. It's that God says, I want to use this person in this way, whether in a consistent calling or in a unique and specific moment, so God supernaturally enables them by his Holy Spirit to do something they could not naturally do on their own. That's what we're looking at here when we talk about the gifts of the Spirit. And we get a list, of course, of some of the gifts. It's not exhaustive. We read it in verses 8, 9, and 10. And then, of course, down in verse 28, we see some other gifts mentioned there, uh, gifts of helps and administrations. And then Romans chapter 12 give us some additional gifts described there, gifts of teaching, gifts of ministry, gift of leadership, the gift of of. Uh, of giving. So there are other gifts described there in Romans 12, as well as in Ephesians chapter 4, some of the office type giftings that God gives among the church. So there's diversity and variation in that there are a number of different types of gifts. Uh, and it is the Spirit of God who's the one who gives and operates these gifts. The second area you see there's variation is in the actual spiritual offices or callings of service that we then use and employ those gifts in. He says, verse 5, there are differences of ministries. But again, it's the same Lord. It's the same Lord Jesus who is operating in those different ministries. And he says, yet there are going to be differences in the way in which those gifts are ministered and they function in ministries. That is, there are going to be different types of offices and roles and callings whereby God uses us in our different gifts, different ways and opportunities that once we receive those spiritual gifts, we then use them to serve people. 
the same gift that I receive from the Lord and the same gift that you receive from the Lord. Let's say, for example, we both have received the same gift of one of the ones mentioned in this list. That, that same gift that we both have, we may potentially use that gift, in a sense, in two different ways in the office or the ministry whereby we exercise that gift. Let me just give a simple example. The gift of teaching. God's given me supernaturally the gift of teaching. It's exercised in a pulpit ministry, in a pastoral perspective, in the way in which God chooses to operate that gift. But there are others who may have a gift of teaching that may utilize that same gift of teaching to minister God's word to the children and to be very effective to be able to take God's word and communicate God's word you know, to kids. And again, let me take it one step further. And some people, maybe that ministry of teaching children is in the church and it's in the sphere of the local church body. Other people may have a calling and a capability to teach supernaturally and they exercise it in a public school system. And that's their ministry. And God says, look, your ministry, your calling is to, you know, to teach in a public school system. So I'm going to supernaturally enable you with the gift of teaching so that there's something redemptive that can come out of that specific gift. So we can have the same gift and yet the ministries whereby the Lord may use us in, some of us may use that in a ministry among the world. Sometimes that ministry is within the confines of the local church but there are going to be differences in the way those ministries unfold themselves and, and different ministries, even in the sense of that, the, the way in which we see what we call ministries, local churches, there are going to be differences in local churches. I think that's by design because the truth of the matter is not everybody would feel comfortable in the same church. Some people feel very comfortable, let's say, for example, in a, in a church maybe that's very more, it's a lot more conservative, and that's where their personality and their temperament fits and they feel comfortable. Other people, they may feel a lot more comfortable in a church that's a, a lot more, let's say, charismatic and emotional, and, and, and in that setting, it fits their temperament. They feel a lot more comfortable. And, and we're not all, as ministries, going to be able to reach everybody. But God puts those different variations out there to reach the world in the way he does and uses them all to complement one another in a well-rounded way. Thirdly, he says, there then are also going to be diversities of activities, but it is the same God who's working all in all. So again, notice, there are different gifts. They operate in different kinds of ministries and roles and offices and opportunities, some within the church, some maybe in the sphere of the world in some way, out in the, the public sector. But then he says also, even the way the gifts operate, he says their operation or their activity, their outworkings, how they're operated, he says there's even going to be diversities in that area as well. Again, why? We have individual personalities. God's wired you with a unique personality. He's made you the way that you are, with the temperament that you have and the idiosyncrasies that exist in you and, and different character traits that you possess that someone else doesn't possess. And as a result of that, when that gift is manifested through your life and the Holy Spirit of God works through your life to exercise that gift, guess what? Guess what? It's probably going to be activated and operated in your life a little bit different maybe than it is in someone else's life. 
because of the fact that we are different by that. We need to accept and expect there to be differences in the way gifts operate through different people with different temperaments. Again, we see this reality, again, from a teaching perspective. You know, there are a multitude of different pastors that I love to listen to the Word of God. I I, enjoy hearing other people teach. And I realize very clearly the way this guy teaches, his style is very different than this style. Both have the gift of teaching, but one person, this is their style, and it's because the way God's wired their temperament, they teach that way, this person teaches that way. Same thing with evangelism. One person is very comfortable standing up, speaking in front of other people. Another person would never be able to do that. It would terrify them, but they're very, very effective engaging people one-on-one. They're very social, and they have a real capability to connect with people, and they feel very comfortable, and it's a very fluent thing for them to evangelize and to share the gospel with the heart of an evangelist in one-on-one conversations. But they would never you know, street evangelize or stand up and preach. That would terrify them. But again, different temperaments, these gifts, they operate in different ways. You know, one person's administrative gift may operate in this way. Another person's may operate in this way. It depends on where God's put them and how God's using them. Again, I think the key that we want to remember here is this, is don't try and duplicate the work of God's spirit that you see in someone else's life by adopting some formula or pattern and thinking that's how it has to manifest itself in your life. Maybe you do see someone who has the same gifting and capability that God's given to you. But listen, hear me here. It's a wonderful thing. I I truly believe it is a wonderful thing to to learn from another good example and, and to look up to someone else, maybe who has a similar ministry or calling or God uses in a similar way that you feel that God intends to use your life in some way. And it's wonderful to look up to them, to learn from them, But you need to stay balanced and remember still to be who you are and and to let God use you the way God's made you and to realize that that is going to be the most effective way in which you would serve the Lord, that you're not designed to be the exact same person as somebody else. Maybe they're very effective in the same gifting, the same calling, the same form of service that you sense that God's enabled and uses you in. But be very careful. God hasn't created cookie cutters and just be who you are. Let God use you and be comfortable with who you are in the way that he's made you. And and that will be the most effective, fruitful way that God will work through you. And, And again, the reason being is because, notice, God is the one who is working behind these things. And as he uses different vessels, the way that comes to pass is gonna be different. Sometimes I think we even can make the mistake, if we're not careful, of thinking that there can that there shouldn't be even variation in the way the gifts operate in our lives at times. You know, we'll talk about some of these other gifts in verses 8 to 10 that are kind of momentary supernatural gifts that happen in an instant. They're not gifts that we can just use at will whenever we want as some of the gifts seem to operate. But sometimes the gift of God's spirit operates through our life in a given situation. And then what we do is we think, oh, okay, that's how that happens. So when God gives me a word of wisdom, this is what it's always going to be like. Well, maybe the next time he gives you a word of wisdom, the situation is different and unique. And the way that operation of the spirit happens in that moment, it might be slightly different. And what you don't want to do is formulate things in such a way whereby you miss the opportunity of God's spirit to work because you have this pattern and mindset. Again, think of even the life of Jesus. Jesus, how many times did he heal people? 
and do miracles. Study the Gospels. Did you ever notice that Jesus rarely healed two people the same way? It was different. It was unique to the situation. He, again, I think the reason why is he didn't want us to create formulas. He, he, doesn't want, he doesn't want us to formulate the way God's Spirit works. We have scriptural guidelines, but yet there's also diversities and variations, and God will work in the way that he wants to work in each unique situation. It's not always just emulating someone else and getting caught up into that, trying to be like someone else. Sometimes it's our old experience. We're always trying to drag on and say, well, the last time th th this happened, it was like this. And, and, and we can miss the way in which God wants to work as he's uh, seeking to work through our lives at times. And again, the important thing to remember, verse 6 there, is it's God who works these things. Please do not miss that the source of the power behind the exercise of spiritual gifts, as I said, which are supernatural, therefore is God. It's God. It's not our own human efforts and achievements and endeavor. It's God who works all in all. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 3.7. He says, I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. Paul says, I realize it was a gift of his grace, but he says the way that gift works is, is one way. He says, God is the one who's supplying the power behind it. I'm just a conduit. I'm just a vessel. It's all of his grace. It's not my effort. Again, it's not perspiration. It's inspiration. And, and, and we need to be careful. We can even begin to get so comfortable where then we try and flesh things out. And, and the Bible says in the book of Galatians, having begun in the spirit, are you now going to be perfect in the flesh? And especially as we begin to become more open to letting God use us, we have to be careful that we don't begin to work things out in the flesh. In the same way we don't produce the fruit of the Spirit, right? That's a supernatural thing. We're just told abide in the vine. And as you abide in the vine, it's supernatural. The fruit of God's Spirit is produced in you as a byproduct of abiding in Jesus. In the same way we don't operate in the gifts by our own effort or power in some natural way. We just be who we are and let God work all those things in us. He says, verse 7, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given, notice, to each one for the profit of all. So notice that word there, the manifestation of the Spirit. The word manifestation literally is a term that means to make something clear, to reveal something to make it evident and seen in the sense of, you know, this, this water bottle. Uh, if I put it back here behind the pulpit, it's no longer manifest. You can't see it. When I bring it out here in front, it's now manifest. It still existed when it was back here. It didn't cease to exist. But when it's made clear, when it's, when it's revealed and made evident, that's manifested. What exists is made evident and clear. What the Bible is telling us here is the manifestation of the Spirit, and the Spirit of God is what? Invisible. We don't see the Spirit of God with our natural eye. The Spirit of God is invisible. But the invisible Spirit of God, who is always present, He's always alive and at work in the lives of Christians and among the church, the Spirit of God, through the gifts of the Spirit, He manifests His presence through the lives of Christians whom he works through in those moments, he makes his normally invisible presence manifested. 
very clear, whereby we see and we sense, wow, the Spirit of God just moved among us. The Spirit of God just did something in our midst, and it becomes very clear that He's at work by using human vessels to manifest His power and His presence. And notice with me in our text, who are the gifts given to? To the elite Christians? To those Christians who've earned and achieved, you know, okay, you've finally now hit the mark, you've attended 672 church services, so finally, all right, we're, we're going to give you one of those gifts, you know, again, like a little Cub Scout badge, you finally met the criteria, and okay, you get a gift. There, no, it says here, the manifestation of the Spirit, which is a way of speaking of the gifts, is given, notice, to each one. Everyone who is a Christian... The Bible, first of all, tells us, has the Spirit of God indwelling them. When you got saved, when you accepted Jesus Christ, that day you made a commitment to Him and you were born again of God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit indwelt you. We've talked about this in our prior teachings on the Holy Spirit. And therefore, as a result of your spiritual experience of conversion, the Bible also says that every Christian, each Christian, Young and old, man and woman, each Christian has received some supernatural gift of the Spirit. At least one, if not more. But at least one gift of God's Spirit has been bestowed as a gift into your life as a part of becoming the family of God and becoming a part of one of the members in the body of Christ. So each one of us has received a gift. In fact, if you look down in verse 11, that's re-emphasized again. Notice, but one in the same spirit works all these things distributing to, again, notice, each one individually as he wills. First Peter 4 says, as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Notice, as each one's received a gift, He's saying, utilize it, exercise that gift, come to know what that gift is. And he says, utilize it or minister it, he says, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. See, God's a good steward. God doesn't give everything to one person, but he gives something to everyone. In stewardship, he disperses his grace among the body of Christ and he gives to each one something, if not multiple things, to be able to contribute to his work and ministry among the church and on the earth. And what are the gifts of the Spirit for? And please hear me in this because I think this is important. What's the purpose of the gifts of the Spirit? Well, two things are very evident in the Bible. One is right here in our text in verse 7. Notice the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for, here's number one, the profit of all. So one very clear purpose and reason for the gifts of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives is for the edification of the body of Christ. For the building up or the edification and strengthening of other Christians in our midst among the church body as well as ministering in some way whereby it's profitable and helpful to people in the world as well. Please, please see here that the purpose of God's gifts operating in our lives, these charismatic supernatural enablements, they're for the profit of others. They're not for our personal profit. They're not for us to profit from in some way or to promote ourselves as being spiritual. And this is where a lot of unfortunate things happen 
with the exercising of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, which then even lead to people shying away, getting uncomfortable and turned off to being open to the ministry of God's Spirit because the gifts in many ways, whether consciously or just unconsciously in enthusiasm, begin to be something that is a promotional thing for a person to indicate to others that they're spiritual. So they want to exercise their gift in a way, again, whether consciously or unconsciously. I'm, I'm not going to you know, acknowledge how that's happening. I, I'm not God. I don't know that. But I know that there is a tendency in all of our lives at times to want to appear spiritual to other people. You're nodding your head. We, right? we all do that. In the same way in the world, we just we like people to think higher of us and, and better of us than what is really the truth about us. And we do the same thing in the ranks of spirituality. You know, we want to be looked upon as spiritual. We want to be esteemed as spiritual. There's just something in our carnal nature that's like that. And because of that, we can begin to prostitute the gifts of God in such a way whereby for our own promotion or personal profit in some different way and it manifests itself differently in our ugly lives in all kinds of different ways, but we can begin to do that and God is saying, no, 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 you're missing the point. The purpose of the gifts of my spirit is to profit other people. It's to impart something helpful to others. God says, I give these gifts by my grace into the lives of you as my sons and daughters so that you can help other people. Not to be self-serving in some way, but so that somehow you can impart something helpful to others in the church body, that you can do something that will strengthen and edify other people and, and to give benefit in their life in some way to help the church in some capacity, to minister to other Christians, to bless and benefit the world, to impart something of eternal and spiritual value. And, and I just, I, I bring this up because I want to caution us as a church to, to always be sensitive in this area. Because I believe we can really begin to grieve and quench the work of God's Spirit in our life if we're not sensitive to this, if we misunderstand the reason behind the gifts of the Spirit. They're intended to profit and help and benefit others. Lord, how can I use this to help other people? And I have seen by personal observation, I have sensed the conviction of the Holy Spirit in my own life at times where we can begin to do this. I have seen people, and I think I said this with a fair level of, of credence, even of credibility, uh, having you know, not only ministered here but pastored another church before, who, you know, even in this area, you know, they, they know that they're gifted in a certain way by the Lord, and it's almost as if they, they use that for a business opportunity. And if they don't get the opportunity to exercise their gift in the platform or the way they want to exercise it, hey, well, th there's, there's not, I, I need to go somewhere else where I can do it because I'm not getting, you know, this role or I'm not getting, I, I don't want to be a pinch hitter. I want to be, you know, I want to be first up to bat. And, and I've seen Christians, unfortunately, and to me, it's a testimony of immaturity. Misinterpret the purpose. Listen, well, yes, God's gifted you. But God's gifted you to humbly utilize it to just profit and benefit and bless other people. Whether it's with three people or in front of 300 people. Whether it's to be you know, the first person at bat or to be the pinch hitter. Just, Lord, it's, it's not for my profit. How can this be used to help others? And, and it's such an important thing that we allow God to work in and through our lives, but realize it's the purpose of benefiting and profiting other people in some way. 
And we all got to be careful because this is just a real weakness, I think, a lot of times that we can all fall prey to. And I think the other area, though not mentioned in our text, it's given to us in 1 Peter chapter 4 of the purpose of the gifts of the Spirit is not only the edification of others, but then the glorification of the Lord. The glorification of the Lord. Listen to what Peter says in 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Again, do those things, he's referring to ways of ministering and operating in the gifts of the Spirit, he says, that in all things God may be glorified. In the purest sense, when God's Spirit is working through our lives in the different ways that he does, whether it's in the gift of giving, Listen, if you truly want to operate in the gift of giving and you want to do something to help a family or take care of a, you know, a, a, a widow or a single mom or you know, to, to, to meet some need in a, in a local church or support a ministry, listen, are you doing it to be noticed and recognized? Or you want to do it in such a way where it's truly exercising a gift of giving and you want no one but God to get the glory? See, there's a distinction there. When we operate in any of the ways that we serve, do we do it because we want to get attention? We want to see people you know, being aware of what we're doing or, or be noticed? Or do we do it in a way whereby there's a little bit of you know, a fleshly flamboyance in the thing where we like people to kind of be impressed with us? Or do we want to do it in such a way where, yes, we can operate in the power of God's Spirit, but we want all the glory to go to the Lord. We want people to walk away and say, wow, not what a great guy, but what a great God. Wow, God did something awesome. He did something marvelous and, and I sensed him at work in some way and, and where we would seek to let the Spirit use us to give glory to God. Again, remember Jesus talked about that, that when the Spirit comes, he said he would take and he would give glory to me. Whenever the Holy Spirit is in his purest work, God will be the one that people will be glorifying. The attention will be on Jesus. God will be the one honored. And again, the Bible says that no flesh should glory in God's presence. So again, we want to remember these things as we're seeking to be open to let God use us to serve because they're important aspects of why and the way in which God works through us. He then in verse 8 to 10, as I said, kind of begins to describe some of these gifts. And, and we'll go back and, and you know, give some attention to try and give a little bit of explanation of each one of these. He says, for to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, which we'll see is basically just a supernatural uh, measure of wisdom in a situation that helps give resolution to some problem or challenge, whereby you're facing something, you don't know what to do, you just can't figure out how to resolve it, and the Spirit of God imparts through the spoken word of someone or by giving to a person a situation just a supernatural measure of wisdom that just is the perfect resolution to a very difficult or a challenging situation. That's the word of wisdom we'll see is. The word of knowledge is basically what it says. It is God imparting knowledge or information to a person that could not otherwise be known unless God revealed it to them. Again, God knows all things. So it is God supernaturally 
because he knows all things. It's God supernaturally imparting information or knowledge about a situation or about a person into another person's mind for a given purpose or reason. Maybe it's prayer. Maybe it's to caution or to call somebody out on something. Uh, he gives them a supernatural measure of knowledge to know something they couldn't know unless God himself revealed it to them. He mentions uh, then to another faith, and the idea there is a supernatural measure of confidence where God asks someone to do something that maybe just requires a, you know, just an incredible amount of trust and he couples that with a supernatural measure of confidence to believe, you know what, Yeah, that seems impossible and crazy, but I believe God's going to do it. And he gives that supernatural measure of confidence and trust that's needed to step into something that may seem almost a complete miracle of God that needs to take place. That's why he puts it together with, notice there, gifts of healings. And the book of Acts and the Gospels are filled with testimonies of that. To the working, another, the working of miracles, some miraculous work. To another, prophecy, which we'll see he who prophesies speaks edification, exhortation, and comfort to all men. Prophecy is speaking forth a timely word from God. It's not always predictive. It's just speaking forth the word of God in, in a timely fashion, a word for the moment. To another, discerning of spirits. Again, there's the Holy Spirit, but there's also demonic spirits. There's the human spirit that sometimes is manifested that is sometimes hard to distinguish between what's of the human spirit and what's of the Holy Spirit. And the discerning of spirits is the supernatural ability to, to make a distinction and to recognize, mm, you know, I, I, I don't sense that's of the Spirit of God. I, I, you know, and again, that's the discerning of spirits, that supernatural keen distinction to be able to distinguish in that situation. To another, different kinds of tongues, a supernatural ability to praise God or to pray in an unknown language you've never studied, but that God supernaturally equips you with to worship Him or to pray. To another, the interpretation of someone speaks in tongues. He then says, verse 11, but one and the same spirit, notice, works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he will. So uh, again, we see here, one and the same spirit is the one who's operating these things here, and he's doing it, notice, for each one individually as he will. So as we look at this here, this list, and we're going to look again, I said there are other lists in Romans chapter 12, in Ephesians chapter 4. I think the key thing to take notice of here again in verse 11, and just kind of this general uh, idea of the gifts of the Spirit, that notice it is the Spirit of God himself who's not only working these things, but he is the one who determines, we see here, and decides how the gifts will be operated. He decides who's going to receive what gifts. That's his prerogative. And he also determines when people will experience those gifts. It's the Spirit who distributes to whom he wishes what gifts. It's the Spirit that determines when those gifts will operate in your life at the given moment, maybe when that's needed. You don't need a word of knowledge every day. Again, a word of wisdom is not this vast reservoir of wisdom where you know, all of a sudden you can just walk around and say, you need a word of wisdom? No problem. Okay, there, there's a word of wisdom. for who, who needs a word of knowledge? Okay, there's a word of knowledge. No, that, that's, not, that's not what this Bible teaches. 
I don't think God would give anybody that capability. That would be a pretty sickly, arrogant person in a very short period of time. But what the Bible teaches us is the Holy Spirit determines who is going to have what gifts, whether it's callings and offices, whether it's these divine enablements, word of wisdom, a word of prophecy, a word of knowledge, you know, to be used by God to pray and to see a healing come about in somebody, somebody's life. He determines who he's going to use and even when that gift is needed in the specific situation. Here's my personal take on this, and it's my conviction, and you're certainly free to, to disagree. From what I see looking at this passage, Ephesians chapter 4, Romans chapter 12, some of these descriptions of the gifts and ministries and offices, it seems to me that it appears that there are some spiritual giftings that are coupled with offices. You know, pastor teachers or pastor who has that calling also, then of course is going to need the gift of teaching supernaturally to go along with it. Probably the gift of leadership as well is important for someone who serves in that capacity. It seems there are some gifts that are sort of a stewardship from God that can be utilized and exercised as a stewardship from God as a divine, you know, again, a, a care, a charisma that God gives to a person supernaturally to exercise that gift with regularity in an office as a stewardship. And then there, it seems to me, are other spiritual gifts which are somewhat different. I think probably closer to the list we see here in verses 8 to 10 that are sort of momentary divine enablements that are given by God's Spirit in a unique moment, in a specific situation, as an as-needed basis, if you understand what I'm saying, where the church is facing something, and there's a decision that needs to be made, there's a dilemma, and, 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 and here you know the elders get together, and they're praying, and they're trying to come to a resolution, and they just need God's wisdom, and as they're praying and waiting on the Lord, the Spirit of God says, you know what, they need a word of wisdom. So... Boom, I'm going to impart a word of wisdom into one of those you know, elders or overseers' minds to help them have the wisdom to resolve that difficult situation. Or, again, maybe there's a dangerous person, like Acts 5 with Ananias and Pilate, and there's a dangerous, unhealthy person that comes into the body of Christ who's kind of putting on a front and playing a game, and the Spirit of God gives to someone a word of knowledge to realize, hey, this person is this or this person is that. And in that moment, the Spirit of God gives to someone a word of knowledge that's necessary, maybe because they're supposed to pray and intercede to protect the flock, or even maybe to approach that person, to call them out in a way whereby maybe they have an ulterior motive or some unhealthy agenda in some sense. Or Again, I think these gifts are exercised not just when a person feels like it. Again, I don't think somebody my own personal conviction can go around and just heal people at will. I just, I don't believe that. In fact, even the text, and I don't want to get ahead of myself, but it says gifts of healings. It doesn't say the gift of healing. A lot of people have that idea. Oh, I have the gift of healing. I'm a healer. Oh, really? Well, then why don't you go to Children's Hospital in Philadelphia? And why don't you just go around and pray and heal every single six-year-old kid, an eight-year-old kid, and 12-year-old kid with brain tumors and leukemia whose parents are going broke and are you know, desperately you know, bawling their eyes out, wondering if their child's going to survive. You have the gift of healing. Then why don't you just go heal everybody? 
See, I don't. I think that's a misconstruing of what the scripture teaches. I think these are supernatural enablements in a given moment where God selects a person and in a situation and he may use, you know, Jason one time and then Abby the next time and Chuck the next time. He's like, I, I, I don't, I'm not going to keep, I don't have to use the same person. In each situation, when it's needed, he gives that gift in the hour, in the moment, so that it complements the situation and it addresses what the need is. No, notice down in verse 31, we'll, we'll conclude here. I want to just draw your attention. He says in verse 31 of chapter 12, but earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I'll show you a more excellent way. And he's talking about the way of love. But isn't that interesting? Earnestly desire the best gifts. Well, that's peculiar. What, what are the best gifts? I think the best gift is whatever is needed most in the hour at hand. If you have a single mom who's struggling to pay her electric bill and buy pampers... She doesn't need somebody to show up and prophesy over her situation. But if somebody has the gift of giving, who God's endowed with wealth and they have a very liberal, generous spirit and says, you know what, hey, I'm fine. Give me that electric bill. Let me pay that to keep your lights on for you and so that you have heat in your house. That's the best gift in the right situation. See, this is why, again, the more excellent way is the way of love. Because love says whatever's best for you, not what's in it for me, but how can I help? What is the most important gift is always the gift that is most appropriate to minister and to profit and to benefit others in a given situation.